Welcome to episode 35 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, Angel Sag. So let's get started with my first topic. Um, I spoke about this last week, uh, the fact that I was gonna write a Forbes article about three big predictions for cellular networking in 2021. And I believe I touched on private networking, but I did publish that article this week. Private networking is one. Um, it's no secret if you look at the momentum that was carried forward from last year. Nokia, they've been, you know, very, uh, you know, in the lead, as, as it were, you know, with respect to private networking. Um, they did announce uh, a standalone 5G solution last year. They, they exited the year with about 220 customer wins. Those aren't networks. So there are you know, multiple networks within individual customer deployments. And uh, that was announced, that standalone support was announced, I believe in late summer of last year. And then in the fall, I believe it was October, AT&T announced that they were partnering with Nokia um, to provide a private networking platform utilizing Nokia equipment. So, you know, I expect this is going to continue to build. You know, there were some other wins announced. You know, I believe this uh, port of Seattle um, is going to roll with uh, Nokia infrastructure for their private network. So I expect to see more and more momentum behind private networking this year. Two other things. Uh, one is pretty obvious, Open RAN. I'll talk a little more about that in Verizon and the podcast. But I believe Open RAN will continue to find its footing. Standards are coalescing. And um, I expect to see a lot of pilots uh, from the major carriers. Um, I do expect, you know, with respect to Greenfield uh, rollouts, when you look at what DISH is doing to roll, roll out their new 5G network uh, this year uh, in the second half, um, there'll certainly be an open RAN component to that that's been stated. Um, Rakuten in Japan as well. And also uh, Reliance Jaya, we've uh, spoken about them on prior podcasts. Um, they're likely gonna leverage um, open RAN when they uh, begin to deploy their, their 5G network. So they did a highly virtualized deployment with LTE. So uh, no surprise there. And the third prediction I spoke to in that article, and if you'll go hit the more insights and strategy Forbes landing page, you'll find it quite easily, um, is I believe that this is the year that we're really gonna start seeing um, 5G discrete services roll out, both for consumer and for enterprise. And consumer, it's pretty obvious, um, low latency mobile gaming, uh, I think you'll see a lot of um, applications for smart stadium as, you know, stadiums and, you know, like the Super Bowl that's coming up, it's still going to be at limited capacity. And so, um, you know, leveraging 5G and mixed reality to um, maybe bring fans closer into the physical uh, arena uh, because quite a, quite a few of them won't be able to attend. So, you know, nothing too earth shattering. I didn't, I didn't make any sort of crazy predictions of companies acquiring other companies. But, you know, I'm wondering, Angel, as you think about 2021, are there other things that you think are really going to, you know, we're going to see momentum behind with respect to 5G? I think we're going to see certain carriers um, become much more aggressive on standalone and carrier aggregation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's because they don't think that they're going to be able to accomplish a lot of these business use cases and new 5G use cases without, you know, really improving 5G's coverage and bandwidth. 
mm-hmm. as well as reducing the latency in a way that's meaningful against 4G LTE. So I think that's going to be something that's going to continue to accelerate this year um, to the point where I think most operators are going to have some form of carrier aggregation enabled in some form of um, standalone. Uh, T-Mobile already has that, but I think it's going to be a global phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's where we're going to get to sort of kind of the true promise of 5G when that that core and that RAN are both, you know, 5G. Then we'll start seeing, you know, um, you know, the tremendous throughput and, you know, extreme low latency um, that will result. But let's shift to your first topic. And I believe didn't Samsung have an unpacked event this week and there were some new devices they announced? Yeah, actually, the unpacked event was on Thursday, which is today when we recorded this. Oh, wow. uh, I did a uh, a live broadcast with our our boss and colleague Pat. Uh, we talked about the whole launch and you know extensively for half an hour. So mm-hmm. the reality is, I can you know condense it into a very quick two minute portion. Essentially, the entire S twenty one series, all five G. Starting price is $800. The S21 Plus is $1,000 and S21 Ultra is $1,200. And the S21 Ultra is the only device that has Wi-Fi 6E. So it has both the latest in 5G as well as Wi-Fi 6. Uh, And what's interesting is uh, the Snapdragon 888, which is in the Snap... uh, um, Samsung S21 Ultra, well, actually it's in all of the S21s, but mm-hmm. Snapdragon processor has an X60 modem built in, which is the latest modem from Qualcomm. So it's capable of doing not only 5G carrier aggregation in low bands and mid bands, but also it can support the upcoming C band uh, bands as well when those come out for 5G. So. Mm-hmm. The S21 is definitely the phone of today, but it's also very much the phone of the future. And it's the kind of device where you actually can probably buy it today and use it for the foreseeable future because it's going to support pretty much everything that 5G networks are going to be lighting up within the next year or two. Yeah, and I also read there were some other features like um, something referred to like Knox Vault that was you know sort of a security feature. And, and I also thought I saw some sort of um, capability similar to tile and and location tracking. Am I off base there? Yeah, so they did add some increased security. They have dedicated security chips and memory on board, which Mm -hmm. cannot be compromised. Essentially, they're they're adding a hardware layer of security in addition to the software. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they did launch their own uh, Samsung Galaxy tags. One is a Bluetooth tag, while the other one uses UWB which is mm-hmm. ultra wideband. Right. And that one will not be out until later in the year. Additionally, the S21 Ultra is going to be the first Samsung Galaxy S series phone with pen support. Uh, traditionally, the pens have been for the Note series. Right. But this uh, is the first Note phone that will support the pen. So it'll have the fastest processor. It'll have the fastest Wi-Fi only the S21 Ultra has Wi-Fi 6E. The other ones just have regular Wi-Fi 6. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you want the best phone available, S21 Ultra is it. It is a bit of a pricey device, but I think Samsung has more right-sized the pricing of their devices uh, against what Apple is offering. 
is, you know, I, I don't, I don't have an Android product. I use an Apple product. I mean, from your perspective, I mean, is that pen, you know, is it, is it a great user experience? Yes, I, I think it is. I think it's quite a good user experience, especially on the note because the pen hides away inside your phone until you need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I love using it uh, to take screenshots. I love using it uh, to sign documents. Um, I also like using it just to like take notes sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it, it's pretty useful. I suck. My handwriting is awful. Um, <laughs> so it's not as good as if my handwriting was better, but realistically it's still a very nice feature to have. And it's a very precise way of using a smartphone for applications where you, you might not be able to sign with your finger or something like that. Yeah, no, I get it. And, um, you know, I have a demo unit. It's a, it's the, it's the latest note. So not part of this announcement, but uh, an AT&T demo and I'm playing with it. And the overall construction is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous phone. So, and they kind of, they kind of lean into that note 20 design language with the new S 21. So it'll be hard to tell the difference between the two of them from afar. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully you'll get some demo units maybe on a future podcast. You can kind of come back and, and talk about your user experience there. So why don't we shift to my second topic this week? And uh, T-Mobile announced uh, a five-year multi-billion dollar um, deal with both Ericsson and Nokia to continue their 5G rollout. And I think you're going to double click into the massive MIMO support with respect to the, the Nokia deal. But I mean, what does this really mean for the end carrier? You know, number one, clearly uh, Neville Ray, the CTO has been on record stating that, you know, Open RAN is interesting, but not gonna factor into their 5G deployment plans. This certainly, you know, harkens, you know, to that as well. And, you know, also in addition to the massive MIMO support um, with respect to the Nokia um, opportunity, um, you know, there's, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna use this infrastructure to support uh, voice over 5G, which is, I believe, VONR. I like that an acronym. Um, as well as, yeah, VONR. And, and network slicing as well. And, and, you know, truly that's sort of, you know, T-Mobile, we've talked about T-Mobile, first to standalone, most impressive spectrum footprint for 5G deployment. And now, from my perspective, these deals really support finding tuning their, um, their deployment you know, and then getting a network slicing, I mean, that's really going to unlock a host of monetization opportunities for them, as well as for the other carriers once they get there uh, to monetize that, that multi-billion dollar investment in the pipe. So um, I know you're going to talk about the massive MIMO aspects of that, but in, any thoughts, any additional thoughts? I mean, it, it seems like they've, they're happy with the, um, the dual sourced approach. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like they're using Ericsson for low band and it seems like they're using Nokia for mid band. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a win for them because they're able to get more competitive pricing from them, but also they're getting probably the best of both worlds based on what those vendors have to offer. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely talk more about it uh, later in the podcast. Awesome. Well, let's shift to your second topic, and you, um, you've been participating in CES this year. I actually, I, I took the bench on this one, but I know Patrick, our principal, and, as well as you and a few other of our analysts like Mark Vina attended, and you want to kind of recap um, the CEO's 5G keynote. Yeah, so I believe last year, uh, Verizon's CEO 
also keynoted the uh, CES conference. He did. I attended, I recall. And he talked about the kind of the, the seven or eight currencies of 5G, which is sort of yeah. Horizon's kind of approach to use case. Yeah. And honestly, it felt a lot like last year's announcement. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of talk about sports and entertainment and museums um, and mobile edge computing, uh, working with Microsoft and Am and Amazon uh, mm -hmm. AWS. So they're talking about a lot of things, but at the same time, there was still talk about drones and delivery. I saw uh, it, yeah. They own Skyward, you know, they bought that drone delivery management system company. And you know, they, they still keep talking about ultra-wideband 5G and what that means for sports and education. Um, and they plan on having, I think they said 100 schools are going to deploy um, millimeter wave uh, 5G for. So it's, it's a, an interesting conversation, mm -hmm. but I didn't really feel like um, there was much meat to what they were saying yeah especially when you consider like i was watching it and there was he was talking about like our network our 5g network will support speeds of up to 300 kilometers an hour and i know i was just like okay <laughs> so what edge, what edge use case even needs to be close to that like i think the fastest speed you probably need is maybe 100 for high speed rail right. um, so like I struggle sometimes with how Verizon chooses to approach their marketing of 5G, especially yeah. when you consider that they're so far behind AT&T and T-Mobile. Um, and I just didn't get a sense that they've really right, righted the ship's direction that much. And I think it might just be because they don't have a choice yet. Um, for as long as they don't have that C-band um, spectrum. They're kind of stuck with this uh, millimeter wave hotspot and um, DSS patchwork of, of 5G. Yeah, you know, I agree. You know, from my perspective, you know, what's really changed in the past year has been their, their mobile edge computing um, deployments. And it seems like every week, you know, th there's an update with respect to, you know, They've, they've lit up other areas of the country as well. And you're right. I mean, they're very focused on their ultra wideband service. It's millimeter wave. The challenge there, yes, it's very fast. It's, uh, it's very low latency. It supports these incredible speeds and capabilities, but that's it's very limited sight. coverage. Yeah. It's line it's of sight. Exactly. It's line of sight requires densification which is quite expensive. So, you know, I think they're, they're focused on, you know, what they have in the barn right now. Um, I think certainly that'll change. Um, they will come out of the C-band auction with some, some upper mid-band spectrum. Uh, that'll also require some, some pretty hefty densification. We've talked about that, just the nature of yeah. that 3.7 to 4 gigahertz. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think for me, you know, what they've accomplished over the last year is really building out, you know, this mobile edge computing platform. As you mentioned, um, recent announcements of AWS, but also they're doing that with Microsoft Azure as well. So, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll we'll keep our eyes on this and uh, and see how things uh, kind of roll in the future. So, let's move to my third and final topic this week, and I'm going to talk about Verizon as well. And um, their CTO, his name is Kyle 
Milady, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, <laughs> uh, was uh, was speaking this week to the you know the fact of uh, you know what what they plan to do with Open RAN and it sort of seemed um, you know sort of double edged from my perspective. You know, on 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 one hand, um, he was stating that yes, you know, Verizon, we are 100% behind Open RAN. Um, you know, for me, you know, th that that's sort of an oxymoron with what they're doing with millimeter wave because with open RAN, you're trading potentially radio access network performance for for lower cost, right? And so maybe that's going to be part of their mid-band build out. I don't know, but at the same time, he caveated his his uh, enthusiasm by saying that, hey, you know, we're going to kick the tires on it, it you know. We don't believe it's going to be a significant part of our, you know, overall current 5G deployment. So there were sort of some mixed messages there. And, you know, this may get back to what we were just talking about, you know, Verizon still trying to find its footing with respect to getting a deployment out there that is going to provide not only great performance, but great coverage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So any any further thoughts there? I mean, we, we don't Sorry, want to with a, a horse. We don't want yeah. to whip a, a dead horse, you know, but no, no, I, here's the thing. Sorry. It's like really hot in San Diego. It's like 85 today. That's um, okay. <laughs> um, what I actually think, and this may be telegraphing what exactly what I was thinking. I believe that Verizon and AT&T in order to deploy their mid band spectrum are going to actually have to go open ramp to cut their costs right. because I think they're going to have to densify their network so much. And they're spending so much on the spectrum. And they're so many, spending so much on the spectrum that I, I don't see a path forward for their networks to fully deploy and realize that net, that that spectrum's potential mm -hmm. unless they go open ran and minimize their their costs. Um, and we know that open ran is already being proven on midbands already. So it's like the the expectation and understanding of what open RAN can do for mid-band is already there. And sure. I don't see it being used for millimeter wave necessarily. No. But I see it could work 100% for mid-band as it's being used now. Um, and I think that it's going to primarily probably be used for mid-band, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just don't see how Verizon and AT&T can spend $35 billion on Spectrum. And then think about, like you had earlier mentioned, it's going to be hard to deploy 3.7 to 4 gigahertz bandwidth because it's a really high frequency for a mid band like t-mobile t-mobile's 2.5 is already like not ideal right it's it yeah. but they've you know they've 18 sprint has already kind of figured a lot a lot of the physics of it and it behaves like 1.9 but it's still not like a 700 and 800 in terms of coverage so seven 3.7 to 4 is you're going to require some very creative um new technologies or significant densification, um, and it might be a little bit of both. But realistically, they're still going to have to they're still going to have to densify the networks far beyond where they are today because both AT and T and Verizon have benefited greatly from having their 800 and 700, 850 and 700 megahertz bands that right. give them this great coverage. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But I 100% believe that Open RAN is going to be one of those doors that they can walk through. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, you know, and, you know, Qualcomm to the rescue here. So, you know, with their announcement, their small cell um, announcement where they were taking those design ones with a few, you know, handful of partners like Airspan Networks and blowing it out to about 20 
to include folks like um, Samsung Networks and others um, should help drive an economy of scale, you know, in, in the Pico and small cell space. I don't know if it's going to theoretically lower the cost, but I think it's it, it's going to do some of that. It's going to lower that bill of material to a point where at least it's a little more affordable to go densify these networks versus before that announcement from Qualcomm. So awesome. we'll, yeah, we'll keep our eyes on it, but um, let's, let's, uh, let's hit your third and final topic. And again, you want to double click into like the, the T-Mobile announcements that I spoke to sort of very broadly with Ericsson and Nokia and in particular uh, massive MIMO support. Yeah. So I think the reason why I gravitated towards this was because I think it's a, a positive thing for both Nokia and T-Mobile. Um, as you know, T Nokia has definitely needed some wins uh, in their traditional business. And I think this is going to be a big one for them because I think T-Mobile needs to roll out 2.5 gigahertz everywhere mm -hmm. because it gives them the capacity to do stuff like fixed wireless. Um, you know, when they have so much spectrum, they can allocate 20 megahertz just for fixed wireless and that'll allow them to have an entirely new business that they've never had before on top of their existing business. Uh, but I, I think it's a big deal because it extends the relationship with T-Mobile and Nokia for five years, mm -hmm. uh, which means that this is a long-term relationship and that T-Mobile sees themselves taking about probably five years to realize this full 2.5 gigahertz rollout. I think they said something around three years, three to five years, but five years sounds about right. Um, and it's important because this massive MIMO is kind of a technology that was first pioneered by Sprint because they were using it with their 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Mm -hmm. And now Nokia is bringing it to T-Mobile. And I genuinely believe this is going to be the capacity and bandwidth solution to T-Mobile's um, 5G strategy. And I've already actually had a chance to experience it. Um, they're already starting to roll out some of these cell sites. Um, and I, I don't even think they're all necessarily going to be um, Nokia sites. They could be a mixture of Ericsson and Nokia. Um, but from what I've seen, I, I'm getting six, 700 megabits per second um, in a very busy part of town in the middle of the day. And that's quite impressive when you consider there's no carrier aggregation yet. And one of the things that actually was touted in this announcement was combining T-Mobile's extended range low band 5G with the ultra capacity 2.5 gigahertz mid band 5G, which together gives you the best possible characteristics of a 5G network in that you get both the coverage and you get this, the bandwidth. And when you combine the speeds together, you know, you could, you could be looking close to a gig per second in best case scenarios. Yeah. That's what I'm going your way. You know, absent from this party is Samsung Networks. And it's no secret that uh, Samsung Networks has been a key partner of Verizon's in uh, their rollout. So I don't know if there's anything to necessarily uh, read into that. But um, yeah, just thought I'd throw that I, one out. There. I think Samsung's approach has been very focused on enabling where they see an opportunity. Um, right. And I think that they've done a lot of research on millimeter wave and have done a very good job of delivering a solution that's competitive. And Verizon has clearly seen that. And I think, I think Samsung will do pretty well in 
in deploy, helping deploy these very dense um, deployments, right? Sure. To add capacity in, in, in dense areas. But I also think that people are going to wait to roll out millimeter wave once once uh, the pandemic is over because there's not going to be anywhere you have a very high concentration of people. Or demand. Yeah, no, that's a that's an extremely good Unless point. you're in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, to go back to T-Mobile, you know, you and I spoke with Neville Ray several weeks ago and clearly their focus is, you know, coverage, right? So building out that low and mid-band um, spectrum and, and then, you know, sort of, I think the way he characterized it was millimeter wave is sort of the icing on the cake, right? And you make an, an excellent point, Anshul, that, you know, you know, we're not going to get back to normal here until, you know, the soonest, the second half of this year. And so there isn't going to be huge demand for, you know, people in stadiums and clusters and that sort of thing, just because people are going to be distancing still. So, um, but this is going to be probably a 2022 phenomenon. So, It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all rolls out. But hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If any of you would like to reach out to us on social media and provide a specific insight on a 5G topic you would like for us to cover on a future podcast, you can reach us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.